1: Welcome to Slumber Podcast Massacre with TNA. That's Tim. That's Andy. And this is a podcast about horror. Every week, Tim and I get together. We talk about a different movie from the horror genre, from your well-known classic down to that rare gem that cuts off Freebird right when it kicks in at the back of your video store shelf. This week, Tim and I are going to talk about, in our continuing uh, mini series Celebrating America, America... It's from 2005, the Rob Zombie sequel, The Devil's Rejects. Tim, this is more of a broad uh, storytelling question for you. How do you feel about making
0: villains protagonists? Well, that's a great question for this movie. because Right, uh, I thought it was relevant. Yeah, um, because the thing is, is that, if there is even the slightest redeeming quality, and by redeeming quality, I don't even mean like a, like a, um, a nice uh, personal quality or a personality tribute or anything like that. I just mean, I guess, a reason why they might be bad. If somebody, it, it can be the most basic thing. For crying out loud, it's because Jason's mom got killed, right? That we completely hang our hat on that, like, well, yeah, I guess, I guess they did kill her. So, yeah, he has every right to murder every teenager yeah. that he encounters for the rest of time. That's all we need, though, just a little bit. Um, so as long as there is something there for people to say that, well, they do bad things, but I know why they're doing it, that's pretty easily sold. But when you have a movie that, Takes villains that have no redeeming quality, <laughs> right. that gets pretty tough. However, we'll talk about this more, I'm sure. Um, isn't it funny though, how rarely in in real life we see villains that do have some sort of reason or redeeming quality. I mean, most times when you see a murder happen or you read about it in the news, yeah. Or some crazy guy kills a bunch of people and then kills himself. We all say like, why did he do that? Why would you do that? Why would you kill? There's no reason for it. There's no purpose behind it. So, so, bad people doing bad things for seemingly no reason, no real reason happens all the time. Right. Of course there's obviously probably underlying mental issues or what <laughs> have you, but I mean what what at least on the surface seems senseless, yeah. but they do it anyway. Happens all the time. So really if anything to make your villains in movies have some sort of redeeming quality that allows us to accept them as as heroes. Right. Um that's I don't know how realistic that really is, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Usually, bad people are bad, um, but so but I I'm okay with it though because I think it really just depends on your perspective, really. Yeah, I mean, I personally think that a bad guy, uh, a villain who is um, led uh, or who the audience is led to somehow appreciate or cheer for, despite their actions. I think that's a lot more interesting than just some goody two shoes who never does anything wrong. Right. It's what makes, yeah, it's what makes uh, so many of the comic book characters that usually play both sides. Oh, Tim, thank you so much for saying the word comic book.
1: So (laughs) I didn't have to force bringing up one of my favorite films, uh, Avengers Infinity War, in which that movie is about Thanos' heroic journey. Like, Thanos is the protagonist in that movie. And that's one of the reasons I love it. Um, And I had a huge argument with people I watched it with trying to point out. They're like, yeah, but he's doing bad. He's killing half the universe. It's like, I understand that. I don't think what he's doing is good. Right. But his this movie tells his story from the hero's journey, you know, archetype perspective. And it's incredible.
0: So and that's what you just explained is the exact reason that I thought of today. This morning, when I was thinking about this movie, uh, it, it gave me the reason to accept um, a very specific choice made at the end of this movie to kind of serve up these evil characters as somehow something sweet or good or sentimental. Yeah. And I remember the first time that I saw it. Of course, we'll talk about it in a second. But, um I was just kind of like, ah, that's a bit of a stretch. Mm-hmm. But you know what? Like you just said, I can look at them, at those people and say they're bad. I feel like this is out of place for them to be given some sort of sentimental ending here. Yeah. But what if it's the what if what we're being given is how they're feeling? That's how they're going to feel about themselves knowing that the end is nigh and think reflecting on their life together they're gonna look at it with that sentimental flavoring right and so yeah i guess every like we always say everybody's the hero of their own story yeah so um tough to call these people heroes but we'll see if it's possible I think it has
1: the same uh, 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 nuance that like (laughs) infinity war has uh martin Scorsese says he just put me in movie prison for saying infinity war as nuance but you know my point still stands but no Uh,
0: i i i will just i I will say though that i i do love and i've mentioned it on the show before it it really does warm the cockles of my heart to see these villains in uh especially slashers become these sort of hulk heroes that we have now like bear in mind Freddy Krueger is a horrible person. Yeah. He's a horrible demon, and he was an even probably arguably worse person when he was alive. He yeah. was a child murderer Yeah, um, and potentially child molester, molester slash murderer. Yeah. So the fact that we've got little kids running around and like squeezing little Freddy plush dolls, <laughs> I mean, that's an amazing place to be in. So I don't know, maybe uh, maybe. Maybe it's not just women who love that bad boy thing. Maybe that's all of us. Maybe we all deep down um, are attracted to some sort of darkness. Yeah. It's fun to be bad. It is. It's more fun. Well, these bad
1: guys we're talking about, and we even? We, we didn't do the whole the shtick yet. Okay. We're talking about The Devil's Rejects from uh, 2005. Oh, I said that at the top. I did say that. Uh, so this was uh, written by Rob Zombie. It was directed by Rob Zombie. Um, it stars Sid Haig, Sherry Moon Zombie, and Bill Mosley. He had a budget of $7 million, a box office of $20.9 million. So respectable return. Mm-hmm. Here's Nance Sum. Following the gruesome exploits of his film House of a Thousand Corpses, the uh, Rob Zombie film, uh, the firefight family is tracked down by local police after a shootout. Uh the remaining family members flee, but leave a trail of blood and violence as they kidnap and torture their way to safety. I mean that's really I
0: guess the plot of this movie i I just love that phrase kidnap and torture their way to safety <laughs> right <laughs> like I, yeah you pointed out, they're they're like sentimental they're they're I, a family i just I can't imagine that that is like listed in any buildings like escape plan for fires or tornadoes. You're going to kidnap and torture your way. <laughs> to the door in the rear of the building. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, different, you know, different scenarios call for different methods. That's right. That's <laughs> right. It's true. So, yeah, so this is this is a sequel to House of a Thousand Corpses uh in which the Firefly family was the antagonist of that movie. Like oh, they, yes. yeah, they were just like we followed some it was college kids. I saw it. I really remember like almost nothing from it. Except for the look of Sid Haig.
0: Yeah. Which yeah, is very effective. Pretty memorable. memorable. But yeah. yeah, no, they they are clearly, they are in their environment. They are in their home. That's what separates it. It's the immediate first difference between that movie and this movie is that's them on their home turf in their house of horrors slash a thousand corpses. Um, and then this is the road movie. Right. Which... I'll try not to say that phrase too much, but it's impossible not to, because this is so much more, in my opinion, a road movie than it is a horror movie. I think it is a horrifying road movie. You're sure. Um, but it is, like you and I were talking about when we were watching it, does not follow the the paint-by-numbers script of how to do a horror movie by, no. by any stretch. No. I would even argue
1: to tell a story, but... <laughs>
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Actually it's doing a lot more of
1: that, which is kind of yeah. refreshing. But no nope- I'm gonna say at the top, I did have some issues with this movie, but I still really enjoyed it. I remembered enjoying it the first time I watched it. I remembered more from this than I did from House of a Thousand Corpses.
0: Because
1: mm-hmm. for if you haven't seen either film, I guess we should say, yeah, House of a Thousand Corpses is about some kids who stumble upon them and then they're trapped in their house. Where they have you know, cages of people and they torture, and you know, it's just kind of a sick, right? Fun house, should we say? Yeah, could we say that? Fun house ish, yeah, kind of thing. House sure. of horrors, you know,
0: yeah, where it's they the like a house of like several dead bodies, yeah. Because when they turn Rain Wilson into Fish Boy, like chop them up and then put them together in some weird sort of carnival esque like oh, yeah. uh, exhibit, that's when that's the moment when you're like, Ugh. and I remember a friend of mine's uncle. um, we he was just around i think we were doing something around the house he had come over to to help my my buddy do something there and uh the subject of that movie came up and his uncle was like that movie really messed me up man <laughs> it messed me up and he like could not speak about it like we couldn't talk about it anymore it was just he was a very superstitious guy and he saw house of a thousand corpses and there was to be no discussion of it ever again like he was that freaked out by it yeah Because it is kind of, um, it was, I guess, all of our first tastes into, uh, or of Rob Zombie deciding from the get go that he was really going to try to, to push the envelope. Yeah. Now some might say, I mean, his last name is zombie. He has to. (laughs) Right. And yeah, he's like, he's like five foot five. His last name is zombie. You know, he's got a, he's got a, is he only five? five? He's just a little dude. Oh man. Yeah. Um, I think he wears cowboy boots often, but I would, yeah. yeah, I mean, he's super cool, but I mean, there's nothing wrong with being short, I guess, but yeah. Um, yeah, he's kind of a shorter dude. I don't know if he's maybe that short, but he's, he's, you kind of picture him as this sort of like big figure, yeah. but no, he's not. Um, but yeah, he uh, obviously was, was going to um, push some buttons right from the get go. Um, this movie has a lot of that button pushing, um, but what's interesting about it is that we get it from both sides because... One of the characters from that movie uh, was a a police officer that was killed. So we have the introduction of a character in this film, uh, and he is kind of out for vengeance against the Firefly family for the death of his brother. But he's also a cop. But he's also a cop, and he's also a bit of like a religious fanatic. So what we've got here is this kind of weight, counterweight of quote, unquote, evil versus quote, unquote, good. But right. the truth is they both act quite a bit like each other. Yeah. Um. So that's kind of the fun little examination there. But I am with you. And I think you and I were kind of in the same place when we started watching this movie, which is we know we like it. We know that there are parts of it that are entertaining. We also know that there are parts of it that are really tough to watch. Mm <laughs> hmm. So I made a very, very conscious decision when you and I watched it that I was going to go against a hundred percent against the way that I normally watch a movie, which is to try and purposely lose myself in the universe of the movie and enjoy it that way. This time I'm like, I'm not doing that. It's too much to ask.
1: <laughs> it's I don't want to do
0: too that. Too big of a personal <laughs> sacrifice. For me to invest in this and to see some of these atrocities happening and internalize it. Like, what if the, my family went through that or, you know, my loved one? And and that really can zap the enjoyable part of the experience right out of you. Yeah. So I went at it like I'm going to kind of watch this as sort of a uh, as an actor. Like, I wonder what it was like to do that scene, to act in that scene. And it also really helped make it more palatable to know that some of the actors really did struggle themselves while while filming some of these scenes um and that made me feel it made me sort of feel a more human quality from it that it's not as depraved as what we're seeing on the screen yeah um i mean it it, it still looks that way <laughs> yeah but it's kind i guess it's just kind of comforting Knowing that Bill Mosley isn't that horrible of a person. Oh sure, yeah. <laughs> you know? um, so that's so. I, I, long story short, I found myself really, really enjoying this movie and seeing a lot more of the comedy in it. Um, there's that one Elvis scene in particular that is. I watched it again today, and it is legitimately hilarious. Like whoever Elvis the, scene. Yeah, with the uh, the um, the film critic. Oh you're gonna call that scene the elvis scene oh yeah well, i guess we could call it that oh that's where i go that's where my uh, mind yeah, goes sure yeah. yeah but uh the but, film critic scene yes yes but
1: um For historian <laughs> i guess he's more yeah. of a historian a grout uh Mark's
0: brothers historian yes um <laughs> but yeah i uh i i found a lot more humor in it i thought there, there was a lot more technical stuff that was way better than i remember too i thought that the um The costuming was fantastic. Yes. Like, it's really easy if you're going to do a movie set in... I believe this is set in 78. If you're going to do a movie set in 78... Wait. It is? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is a significant year. It was the year that Rob Zombie... uh Uh-huh. It's the the year that uh, Rob Zombie turned 18. It's the year that John Wayne Gacy was uh, arrested. It was the year that I think... um, Maybe Charles Manson was arrested that same year. A lot of a lot of bad criminal things were happening. Plus, you had Halloween coming out. It's a really like big year for him yeah. personally with a lot of horrific things happening. Yeah. So he said it in that year. Wow.
1: Yeah, I guess that makes sense. My brain just
0: never said that. It's just kind of like I just figured they it's had- modern, but rural. Yeah, and you're right. You kind of look at the people and you're like, they just have some really cool style, (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) you know, which they do. That's what I'm getting at. Like the costumes are super great um, and uh, they don't really overdo anything. Um, A lot of reasons why I and everybody else like this movie a lot more is because it took a way more naturalistic approach to its tone. Then um, House of a Thousand Corpses, like there is literally a complete absence of anything supernatural in this movie. Uh, and in right. the in the first movie, there wasn't a ton of that. But the whole Dr. Satan thing was. Yeah, I seemed- don't remember any of that.
1: So are there like supernatural implications in the first one well he's like a w- weird, he's got some uh, y-
0: yeah he's like this weird like of like thing? part robot part doctor like oh, evil man. scientist guy do, down do in the lake to rewatch this yeah, yeah we are mm. <laughs> you know i like it i like it more than than i let on but i do like devil's rejects far better um and, and nearly everyone yeah. does i think it's a it's it's just a yeah it's crazy i looked up i was
1: hoping uh gene siskel had not passed yet but he had uh but so uh, uh I'm gonna Richard, be nice. <laughs> Richard Roper and Roger Ebert reviewed it and they both gave it thumbs up they were like cuz it knows what it is and it
0: does it very well yeah and
1: like uh Steve, and it's true i can't argue with that at all
0: stephen king praised it too he said um uh that he thought that rob zombie really nailed that sort of gritty over the top feel of those um 70s films uh, the exploitation films, and uh, he went on to say, uh, furthermore, that he thought that uh, th- that the Devil's Rejects was the kind of movie that Tarantino was going for when he made those quote silly Kill Bill movies. Yeah, which I, I don't. don't think I don't know. They were. Were, I mean, though, I love Kill Bill, yeah. <laughs> so I, I, but I appreciate Stephen King like having the balls to come out and I don't know really at the he- same time. I'm not turning to Stephen King on my <laughs> film critiques.
1: <laughs> Maximum Overdrive? Maximum what? Overdrive. Sleepwalkers.
0: Most of them.
1: Oh man. What a did he, uh, he only directed Maximum Overdrive, right? And he yeah. wrote Sleepwalkers just for the film. Like it was a screenplay. Yeah, I believe yeah. so. Everything else he's done original art or is television, I believe. But yeah, Stephen King. <laughs> stay
0: away from film, Stephen King. Right. So let's um let's get in uh, we, because uh, I mean we we just might as well jump right into it. Let's get into some of that um that evil and that bad stuff that we're uh that we're referencing here uh, as far as the the stuff that's difficult to stomach, difficult to watch. Um, I had some revelations today that that made it a lot more understandable for me because you and I were sitting there, we're watching the movie and I asked you to pause it for a second and you did. And, and I just said, you know, do you, do you find yourself wondering and contemplating exactly who, what kind of person is this movie being made for? Yeah. Cause we were, we were right in the midst of a scene it's the motel scene. Everybody knows it. Who's watched the movie. Um, it's the most difficult to watch in the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and it, because it has to do with sexual intimidation and sexual, uh, you know, accosting someone. And and uh, there's all kinds of normal, quote unquote, normal violence getting shot in the forehead and all that. That's <laughs> right. yeah. We can take that. But, um, but when you have people being sexually tortured or intimidated in front of their, especially in front of their family members, you could just feel. Feel the weight of despair yeah in that room so i asked myself or you know at that moment when we were talking about it like and i could tell you like your reaction was you were right where i was where it's like man this it's hard to have fun watching this mm-hmm. and that was the scene like i've mentioned before that bill mosley right in the middle of filming it when they they finished a take went up to Rob Zombie and was like, I'm, I'm really, really struggling with this. I'm having a hard time. And this is really bumming me out. Yeah. And, uh, and Rob Zombie just said, art is not meant to be safe. And <laughs> Bill Mosley's like, well, okay. Yeah. And, um, I mean, I, Hey,
1: I, Bill Mosley, you forced your way into this world. <laughs> You've got to sleep in, you know, this yeah, is only in the bed you made, or I don't make my bed. So I don't really know the right, uh, how that <laughs> phrase goes,
0: but right <laughs> But yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, he... Which uh, he
1: is the best one in this movie. Oh, he's so... You so just want to watch the I, hell out of him. Uh, I famously uh, hated him so much in Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. He completely ruined that movie for me. But in this, he uh, nearly makes the movie for me.
0: Yeah. He's unrecognizable. S- yes. He, but he looks so great, though. Like, um, he just looks kind of... Um, I mean, he's not like hulking by any means, but there's a a, a, he's got a real resolute quality to him where he believes in exactly what he's doing and he's not wavering at all. Right. He's not kind of walking the line between, you know, am am I doing good? Am I doing bad? Like he doesn't give a shit. In fact, he says that line uh, where he says, I am the devil and I'm here to do the devil's work. And if that sounds familiar to anyone, it's nearly a direct quote from Tex Watson as he was committing the um the murders against uh oh Sharon Tate and her friends with the yeah. the Manson family so that's when when i heard that quote in the movie i'm like man i know i've heard that somewhere oh, yeah. before and i looked that up and that's that's where it came it's from it's from once upon a time in hollywood did they did they use that in that yeah too? he says that doesn't he when he comes in to uh, uh, confront Brad Pitt. Well, that would make sense because yeah. that's That's who, they're yeah, that's who yeah. they are. Yeah. yeah. It, but I mean, in real life too, Tex Watson, right. <laughs> unfortunately, also said that. But uh, but yeah, so um, it's fun, we can laugh about it. Now. Yeah. Yeah. Now we can. <laughs> but now here's here's what dawned on me. I'm going to run this past you. And I know that I can count on you to say if you think that it's complete bullshit or not. All right. But I'm going to I'm going to throw this out at you. So what we have here is the Firefly family, and they are bad people. There is no two ways about it. We know that from House of a Thousand Corpses. These are bad people. But in that movie, as we already mentioned, they're on their home turf. They're in their house. They're not having to go anywhere, do anything, but just do their thing. Right. The bad things that they do. In this movie, they're on the run. And... What kind of road or slash escape movie can you have if every five minutes they're having to stop to do something bad? You even mentioned it, and rightfully so, because your instincts were exactly right, where you kind of turned to me after the motel scene, like maybe five or ten minutes after it was over, and you said, like, was there there anything to gain from them doing that that to that family? Like, was there... I mean, were they trying to get money? Were they trying to get, you know, extra set of hands or whatever? Yeah. And, and the truth is, no, they were just doing it because they're bad people. So here you are, you're Rob Zombie and you're writing movie and the Firefly family is front and center and they are horrible, horrible people. But it would be doing them and those characters a disservice to suddenly try and, and say like, oh, you know, they're really not that bad. They're, sure. they're pretty good people. So because they can't be stopping every every five minutes because it just doesn't make sense for an escape movie. Yeah. you really got one shot. You got one shot to remind the audience that these are really demented, fucked up people. So you better hit it hard. If you're going to hit it once, hit it hard. Yeah. And so that's why I was like, okay, maybe that's why he saturated it in that much discomfort. I can see that.
1: Um, but I do feel you could also pepper that throughout the movie because it's just like that scene is so long uh, and they're just tortured for so long. And then, yeah, there is no gain at the end. It's not like, well, we did it to get their car or even if they took money, they don't seem like the people who use money. <laughs> right. Right. They just take whatever they fucking want. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I mean, yes, then was it just a scene to show me how bad they are it's like i get it <laughs> right you know now you know now we're reaching points where i don't know cuz it's like what what would i cut out of that i don't know cuz they all kind of have their like gross different qualities it's not like they're repeating a lot of the stuff you know right um and you know like just so the end of that scene, should we like start saying spoilers at the beginning of these? I don't care. <laughs> it's the devil's cool reject. we a movie podcast. And be like, I'm going to listen to these guys talk about a movie I've never watched. <laughs> I know right. some people do, and if you go into it that's fine. Yeah. You can't assume we're not going to talk about the movie. Anyway, so the end of the whole motel saga ends with a, a housekeeper finding it, right? And then hanging on the back of the door. <laughs> Is the surviving female, but they have cut off her husband's face and are making her wear it. Yeah, uh, and she just like flips out and panics once she's like released from the door and uh, ends up getting hit by a truck. Right, that alone tells me how bad those people are. You know. Yeah. Um. Okay. I, maybe, I know where you're going. Maybe sexually intimidate just one person uh I, then i get it you know <laughs> like because then my issue with then the rest of the movie uh while there is killing it's none of that it's none of that kind of uh horrificness there, then there's a lot of conversations plan you know people making plans to do things you know uh it's really weird like the, first, the second act of this movie is unlike any other act in the movie. It's like a different movie.
0: Yeah, it, I, I will agree with you there that it it does feel I, I think it's handled well. I, I'm not going to make too fine of a point of it, but I, I think I know where you're going. That When that second half of the movie, when they be, go from being such powerful figures, like you just said, if they want something, they take it. That That's all there is to it it's it's a pretty quick and complete switch to them being like powerless it's not like there's a power trade going back and forth like one goes up one goes down one goes up one goes down it's like when they get caught it's like suddenly we see them going to have like zero power yeah so it does which i do
1: appreciate too i don't want them to be super you know because they seem untouchable
0: yeah i guess i guess you know with regard to like, does it have to be taken that far in that motel scene? First of all, two things. Number one, to create a scene like that, and I'm not saying that something that is shocking automatically makes it good, but I will say from a the lines that are written to the performances to capturing that despair uh, that that I'm I'm referenced when when watching it. That is a, a an artistic feat of of some measure. I mean, it, I'm not saying that it's like the most genius thing that's ever happened on film, but yeah. if you can create that moment and that much real tension, whereas a viewer you are are just feeling <laughs> disgusted and sad, and it, it's it's a to to make you go through that those many emotions and really feel them. God, you see it on her husband's face yeah. when he does that motion where he takes his hat off, like because he can't even look adder uh, it's it's so powerful so somebody might s- hear that and say okay that's fine like okay yeah that's he pulled something off there right. he got our attention but uh but is is that is that really that clever is that really that is there really a talented brush stroke going on there or is he just going for the jugular yeah well my opinion on that is this i think art is about thrusting your hands into that lump of clay and turning it into something other than it is. And there is real life that knock on wood, thankfully 99.9% of us live without ever going through what happened in that motel room. Yeah. So for someone to have a creative opportunity to say, I'm going to, in a safe environment with act professional actors in a, in a movie, I'm going to thrust my hands into that lump of clay, and I'm going to make something that you can't, you can't help but be affected by. Yeah. The, the, I think there's some merit there. Uh, I, I think that there's that is an accomplishment, albeit not the most fun one in the world, but it's sure. something.
1: Yes, it definitely achieves what it seeks out to do, for <laughs> sure. Right. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to deny that. Uh, I had a point I was going to say, but I don't even remember what it was now. Which is fine. What was I going to say? Well, something
0: I was going to mention, um, I I did say it out loud. Uh, This is a just treasure trove of middle aged people in this film. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You would think, I mean, so much of horror is filled with, you know, teens or or folks in their 20s. But I mean, is there even a character under the age of 30 30 in this? I don't think so. It's amazing Like you don't How really think How Sherry Moon uh, Zombie She's gotta be like In re- in real life She's gotta be Probably a couple years Older than us I would say Probably Did you, did you notice They showed her butt In this movie I think so uh, <laughs> It's so brief <laughs> Yeah Yeah They. Uh, she's not a fan Of belts uh, Baby That that character said, Richard she, Roper
1: Had to point out He's like I didn't mind
0: Right. <laughs> right Right I'm thirsty you know, I, I'm glad you brought her up because you had said something before. Oh, I don't talk about her. <laughs> you had said something about like you know, Rob stop putting your wife in in all your movies. And because
1: yes, he's doing. Sorry, I thought now would be a great time to eat a cherry. <laughs> Maybe we mentioned this in another episode, but he it just was announced he's doing a Munsters movie, uh-huh. which. You and know, I think are both fans of the Monsters. Oh, understand yeah. what the Monsters is. It's not about monsters. They're not the monsters in the Monsters. Yes. Right. That's the point of the Monsters. Now Rob Zombie doing the Monsters. I can't I can't think he doesn't understand that. I'm just afraid of what he does with it. And he cast his wife <laughs> as Evelyn. Yeah. Is that her name?
0: Oh, um, Oh God, what is her name? No, it's not Evelyn, but it is uh
1: Oh anyway.
0: I love her. I have such Herman's a crush wife. on her too.
1: Herman Munster's wife. Yeah. Props to women. We love you. Mrs. Munster. Mrs. Munster. Yeah, I love um, her. yeah, she'll be playing that uh that role. Um and yeah, I was like, please stop putting your wife
0: in movies. I gotta say I love baby zombie. Uh our baby zombie. I love <laughs> Yeah. Zombies are so cute when they're babies. Uh no, I love Sherry Moon zombie. I do. I I I and maybe I, Firefly is her character yes, name, right? Okay. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, you know, you know me, I'm I, I I'm quick to love anything. But even when I first saw her in House of a Thousand Corpses, I was like, okay, I know that's his wife. I knew that she was pretty. Um and but I kind of wondered, like, uh, how's this gonna go? Like, is you know, is she just in it because She's his wife. And, and uh, how good is this choice going to be? Because truthfully, I, I don't know everything about their relationship, but I believe she was just kind of touring with them, like kind of like, like following them as a fan, the uh-huh. uh, White Zombie and Rob Zombie. And then she was a dancer. And I think he kind of brought her on as one of his backup dancers. And then she was featured in a lot of his videos. And then they eventually got married. So it's not like she has a super duper strong acting background, I suppose. But mm. but it's <laughs> love that look on your face. <laughs> but I love her. I'm I'm gonna say it. I loved her in freaking Halloween. I thought she was great in Halloween. Um, I I really like her presence. She has a real fresh, I don't know. When I see her on screen, the energy is very fresh, it's very uh immediate. It's very in the moment. I can believe her as bad, even though she does look so kind of sun kissed in California style. Yeah. Um I love watching her on screen. I and I I know that you're not the biggest fan, but I don't know. I what is it that you don't like about her?
1: I just uh, she's not a good actor. <laughs> oh, now dear. I will say I so when this movie started, yes, I came into it like don't really like her that much. Have not seen her in a lot of stuff. These movies and Halloween. And I don't even really remember Halloween that well. I don't know why Rob Zombie's movies are so forgettable for me. <laughs> <laughs> what they are. Um, even though I appreciate what he does. Uh, but so, the, yeah, the beginning of this movie, there's just a lot of yelling. And, you know, they're like running from their house. And then kind of the next time we see her is when they're at the motel. And she's like talking to the old the old dude, Sullivan, uh, whatever. They're, it's a, what are they calling? Brooke? Banjo and Sullivan. Yeah. They're a traveling musical act. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the oldest guy, the you know singer or whatever, she's talking to him and she's flirting with him. Uh, and it was great. Like, I was like, oh, I was too harsh on her. Yeah. Like, because this is uh, effective. She's doing this very well. Uh, and then once she just started saying normal lines in the motel, I was like, oh, she can play seductive and that's it.
0: Yeah. Because everything
1: else she did in this, I was just like, you're the worst
0: really yeah uh okay
1: okay um at least the worst in this cast i'm not gonna say she's the worst actress ever uh but there were probably plenty of more capable people who could have done it but she is very
0: pleasant to look at (laughs) yes yeah she's super cute and i mean yeah it's not like we're trying we're sitting here being skeevy like old guys like she's some sort of like 16 year old like she's older than us and she yeah she's very pretty uh she's very cute she's Wait, very she's
1: older than us well sure. i guess not when they filmed this uh probably now pro- because yeah. time is linear and she keeps aging she's while actually, we keep
0: aging she's probably <laughs> is that how that works <laughs> yeah she will always be either so, older or younger than us somebody should write that down <laughs> that's a good concept uh time but uh <laughs> Yeah, no, she I love her. I think she's great. I I I will agree with you that I think that she's at her best when she's being either flirty or playful or sort of evil but in a yeah. fun teasy way. She's
1: very She's almost more cute than hot. If I'm going to just be yeah. a gross man, <laughs> she's more cute than hot, uh but she has a very nice body. Uh so yeah, when she has to, yeah, be playful or sexy or, you know, she does it well. But if she has to, like, give someone instructions, don't
0: do not do that. You know, speaking of uh, of that scene, there was a line and I wrote it down. And uh, I don't know if Rob Zombie was smart enough to to write this line as a metaphor. But at the tail end of that scene, um, there's somebody that grabs a gun and points it at baby and uh, tries to shoot her. But there's no bullets in the gun. And Baby says, uh, no bullets. It's mind power. Right. And I wondered if maybe that was Rob Zombie speaking to the audience, kind of saying, like, I know I just put you through a lot, but this isn't real. It's just your mind working on you. There's no real there's no bullets here. There's no real torture happening here. Yeah. It's just mind power, and maybe that's kind of like a little exclamation point on his, at the end of a scene. I it, it's kind of cool if he if it is. Yeah, that's an interesting take.
1: But um, I mean, I think it was just a character point, like, yeah, because yeah, they are chaotic. If on a you know D and D alignment chart, the whole family goes <laughs> into chaotic evil, right? Because um, there are you know, not only are they chaotic, there's a confidence that comes along with it, which kind of bothers me about it because there's a, so much screaming and there are some, you know, uh, Brian Posehn gets shot in the head, you know? So there are gunshots in the hotel. There are bullets. Um, but like no one here, like there's no one else around. Yeah. So that kind of like, that's the only, like I, if you say supernatural level of like a bad guy is like this confidence of, I can be as brash and as open as I want and I'm
0: not going to get caught. You make a fantastic point because, <clears throat>
1: like, it's way scarier if they were more discreet about it. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I know what I'm doing. This just seems like I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just,
0: you know, a wild animal with a weapon. I, I I I think it's a fantastic point, and it made me think of something that I haven't thought about until you just said that, and that is, this movie only works in the area where it's being filmed. And even then, like what you're just saying right now, it's a bit of a stretch as far as plausibility of, of nobody hearing anything, right? No, nobody coming around, but you couldn't make this movie and set it in New York city. No, you couldn't make it and set it in, in Bakersfield, California. Yeah. I mean, there's, it has to have that sort of wide open, big sky, desert, Texas vastness yeah. and emptiness but, to yeah, it. Yeah, But
1: it's like, yes, it's technically the middle of nowhere but it's a motel where people <laughs> go to the, a lot of people go we to in the so, middle of nowhere. Yeah. The owners hope so. Yeah. And we know there's staff there. And then even when the staff is in trouble, there are no other staff that come out, you know?
0: Yeah. You know, uh, there was one line, but It's not just noise in the hotel. I mean,
1: there's uh, one of the girls gets out and is pounding on every single door. She
0: goes by. Let me ask you this though. If you're staying in that motel, yeah, and you, you hear that? Or what What are you going to do? I call the police? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Okay. Um, I, I w- know myself well enough that I'm not
1: going to add anything to that situation if I get involved.
0: I'll have them call an ambulance too, because I would be the idiot that would run out there and try and fight them and then get killed. So if right. you could get that ambulance yeah. here as fast as possible, I appreciate it.
1: Um, <laughs> My friend died, but his fighting
0: technique was impeccable. <laughs> it was all worth it. <laughs> You I can tell
1: he goes to a gym.
0: <laughs> Look, he's got the patch on the back of his vest. He's laying face down. It's right there. Uh, no, that's, I did. Honestly, I turned and I said that to you and I, I even wrote it down. I, I, I wrote down, this is why I fight train. Like I, not that you're going to do a whole heck of a lot against somebody with a gun or anything like that, but you know, it's these situations that I, I don't want to say internalize, but The fact that anything like this could happen to anybody that I know, I just, I never want to be that husband sitting on that motel bed, having to watch something, something happen so horrible to a family member like that and just be, no, there wasn't a whole lot he could do because he had a gun pointed on his wife, on him, on everybody, but I, I never want to feel helpless. Right. And, um, so yeah, that's, it's just a good (laughs) motivator to, now have you ever seen funny games? No, but I just read which about Which is a that. whole
1: movie of this scene, which I think works because it's the whole movie. Oh, it's
0: just a, like a motel. Well,
1: it's a house. A ho- oh, okay. Yeah, it's you know these kids break into a house and then just like torture and murder the family yeah. throughout the movie. But it's like a black comedy, and they kind of you know break the fourth wall here and there.
0: I read about that, and it, but it was set funny games, same- Tim. It's a laugh riot. I said it was, or I read that it was, I mean, it was written in the same sentence with a Serbian film. So I thought, is it like really super hardcore? Yes. Oh, it is It's disturbing. Oh, okay. It was a French film
1: first and then okay, they remade it in America. I have to watch that. And I'm trying to think who, like they got a pretty good actor for the husband. I can't remember.
0: One thing that I do want to bring up real quick, because uh, I'm really fascinated to hear your take on it because I, I can't seem to figure out my answer or, or my take before I get into that, I will say I'm going to be speaking to the dialogue. There was one line that completely validated me because every now and then there are certain like phrases that I'm sure everybody goes through this. That There's a phrase in your mind and it feels natural to you, but you don't hear people say it a whole lot. So you're like, did I make this up or <laughs> is this a real thing that people say? And in this movie, somebody says, fuck me running. And I, th- I'd never hear anybody else say that, no, but I've, I've always, I will, well, fuck me running. I, I have that in my head and I want to say it all the time, but well, I'm like, should. I'm like, I think I made this up, but apparently I didn't. Oh, so okay. That's
1: good to know. Oh, so that was in your head and then you heard it in the movie and you're well, like, yeah,
0: I've always, I've always wanted to use it because I, I was pretty sure that it was a real phrase, but I've never <laughs> hear anybody else say it. So I'm like, well, did I just stop that? holding back? And it will be, yeah. Fuck me running, fuck me running. Um, so speaking about dialogue. Here's a huge question that I have about this movie and some of or most of Rob Zombie's stuff, at least at least also including House of a Thousand Corpses. So there's this thing. It's kind of like the John Waters vibe. I think John Waters movies are kind of magical because they started out having the quality of acting and dialogue that they have because it was that amateur, like right. there wasn't anything intentional about it. It just was that low budget. Right. But then in this weird sort of like, like, I don't know, performers mechanism from having been familiar, familiar with his movies and then recreating that tone, even really seasoned actors when they do John Waters movies yeah. have a really it became wooden, a style. Yes. Yeah. So it's kind of like intentionally crappy, right? Right. So what I'm getting at is in some of the dialogue here, because I don't think that Rob Zombie is incapable of writing decent dialogue. um, Sometimes he goes way over the top and he's like doubling and tripling down on some profanity in a way that doesn't sound naturalistic. Yeah. And I'm like, is he is he just trying to get like overly stylistic with his dialogue kind of like quentin tarantino does sure uh to 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 great success do do you feel like he's doing that or do do you think that it's just really an ineptness on his part as a writer i don't know i really didn't notice that okay
1: i didn't really have any issues with the script of this movie or with like the dialogue uh or the characters or the acting except for
0: (laughs) sherry um yeah, I don't know. I don't know. What I don't know what you mean. Well, sometimes like it, it, it's really more in the beginning of the movie. And then it, it, the the second half of the movie that where it just really hits its um, kind of like the where it really becomes the chase movie, you know, more actively, like like they're The heat's really coming down on them, yeah. and it's more action oriented. It's, it's lesser. But yeah, he, I can't think of a specific line, but like he'll. I think it's more in House of a Thousand Corpses, but he'll have somebody like insulting somebody with stuff that's like not even overly clever. It's just really doubling and tripling down on the profanity. And it's just kind of like that's sort of it sounds like a teenager wrote that. That sounds like stuff Stephen King does. Yeah.
1: If just you describing it, I'm still not sure where in the movie they do it. Yeah. That sounds like something Stephen King does, where it's just like he just gets like. I like this phrase. Right, I'm gonna make this character say this phrase a lot. Right, that's their thing. But yeah. I, I didn't get that, and I know you. That's not what you mean.
0: Yeah, well, but if, yes, but where you're like a writer somewhere. will
1: be like, I really want to use this. Maybe it doesn't work, but for me personally, I like it.
0: Well, yeah, it's just like I can't even think of anything in particular. But it's like if I had to like paraphrase it, it's like you fuck stick, I want you to take your fucking feet and walk over to that fucking car and open oh. that fucking trunk and do the, do the And it's just kind of like, it's funny and it's sort of cartoonish and it's funny from like a sort of spectacle perspective. Yeah. But there's nothing realistic about it at all. I always kind
1: of view those moments, because uh, I would say that happens yeah. in other movies, uh, those are probably more improvised moments. And that's uh, an actor... <laughs> Not sure, you know, thinking Probably that done they're a saying- lot of takes. And yeah, you you, you fill the, the F word in anywhere. So it becomes a very easy crutch. And you're like, well, I'm a character that says it a lot anyway. Yeah. So, so yeah, if you, you know, as long as you sprinkle some other things in with all the fuck words. Right. Then it's like you're okay. But yeah, fuck's a very
0: easy crutch to rest on. Yeah, I, well, that's, that's good to know them because it didn't really bother me for the rest of the movie. I didn't notice it as much. I mean, um, I know
1: exactly what you're talking about. I can't remember specifically when they did it, It's in kind, here, yeah, but I could imagine.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like the reason why I hate Kevin Smith, uh, or, or the majority of his movies. Like when I watch clerks, I think that that is the most un. I think it's, I can see him trying to be clever with his writing sure, and I think it's just awful. <laughs> I really do. Yeah. Um, yeah, the dialogue doesn't age well in that. Movie. But if, if you, did you feel that way? Like when you saw it? Yeah. Like I, when I, I first never, came out, I never liked, I'm oh, yeah. f- kind of famous for being the only person I didn't like Dave Matthews band and I didn't like clerks. Oh, well, um, we <laughs> way ahead of the curve on everyone there. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, I, uh, I, I do want to say though, I, I think that, um, just to come back around real quick to that, uh, the content of this movie I think that it gets a little easier to watch after that motel scene and I did bring up something to you that I think is maybe just another justification but um if you are a psychologist or if you're familiar with any sort of psycholo- psychological concepts uh, or have been dealing with some of those recently uh you'll find out that there are there's a theory that there are eight human emotions and I I can't remember all eight but it's like anger, anticipation, love, sorrow um, and one of them is disgust and so if disgust is one of the eight human emotions to make a movie and feel like you can't incorporate a disgusting tone is sort of ignoring uh, one of the basic qualities of existence you know so i don't know i i didn't have as much of a problem watching that. Seen this time around, I would highly say, though I would I would say this vehemently, if you were somebody that has ever experienced really high level violent trauma like that, it would probably be very upsetting to watch. Yes, yeah. I mean that. I, I I look, you know me. I I don't go in for a lot of the to what I consider to be overly sensitive, you know, qualities of of our society these days. However. That's just being irresponsible if I told somebody that like was a, a rape survivor or yeah, something just like that. It's a movie. Yeah. <laughs> that, e- e- even me, I gotta draw a line there and be like, look There are no if- bullets. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, that's my new phrase. Don't yeah. you get it? No bullets. Come on. Yeah. So, yeah, if you you haven't watched the movie, yeah, if you're one of those people that doesn't watch the movie, but listens to the podcast, but is thinking about watching the movie and you've gone through some really, really horrible trauma. First of all, I'm sorry that that happened to you. And I I hope that you're doing better. Second of all, probably don't watch this. Yeah. (laughs) You know, because it's it's rough that way.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's indicative of how uh, rough that scene can be that we're, you know, we're 50 minutes into this episode and it's about the only thing we've talked about. Right. (laughs) That's true. Well, but Uh, not a lot else happens. Yeah, it's... Except for the Elvis scene.
0: Right. Well, you've got got the... We haven't talked about Sid Haig yet, either. Yeah, let's talk about him. He's an interesting guy. Yeah. Um, I think
1: just his look is responsible, is (laughs) 80% responsible for the success of these films, for what got people into it. Because seeing him as the full clown in the first trailer, you're just like especially uh if you're at that because that was what like 2002 or something ish
0: uh uh, house of a thousand corpses was 2005 i believe oh
1: no that was this year that was this movie
0: oh was it yeah oh shit
1: um anyway yeah so it, it was a couple years before you know so it's still you know we're very post 90s uh rob zombies transitioning out of music um i don't think it you know You see that and you're like, yeah, that's Rob Zombie. I get, you know. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, he had an aesthetic to him before he did film that I think translated well into that. So anyone who was interested in Rob Zombie went to that movie. But anyone who wasn't saw that guy and was (laughs) like, I'll give it a shot because that looks creepy. But not like supernatural creepy. Just like a... Because Sid Haig is a...
0: He's just one of those weird looking dudes. Yeah, he's I'm
1: kind of fascinated with him.
0: He's he's Armenian. He is uh, he had a, a condition when he was younger. It's not like gigantism, which actually there is an actor that has gigantism in this movie yeah. um, who died. Actually, just almost immediately after this movie was released. But um, but he had a sort of growth thing where he was. Uh, I guess it's some sort of a hormonal thing where he was growing too fast and he was sick a lot. Uh, As a result, as a kid. Um, But yeah, he is kind of like uh, uh, he is sort of imposing, even though he looks kind of like a guy that could also do your taxes in a weird way. Yeah. He also has this sort of um, I don't know, an unsettling quality. I think you're going to know what I mean. Like when you're watching him. It feels like a balancing act. Like part of you wants to be like, this is a really funny guy that you could go have beers with, right? And part of you is like, maybe he is fucked up, <laughs> right? Like maybe he's pretty demented, and he never commits to one or the other, which makes it really interesting to watch. Yeah, but yeah, he's he's tall. He's he's well his over six mouth feet tall. His like
1: big. I love the way his uh, his like vocal intonations, which sounds weird to say, and yeah. I only really noticed it just because you know while i'm doing other stuff on computer i'll just have like fucking youtube running in the background uh and the algorithm started kicking out like bar rescue episodes for me or highlights which i'd never watched but the host for it this guy john taffer yeah he's this huge italian guy i'm assuming but his like mouth is so huge <laughs> And the way he forms his work, I'm just like fascinated watching him talk. Yeah. And I got the same thing watching uh, Sid Haig talk in this movie. I was just like, oh, my God, this is all this is all my John Tapper fascination.
0: (laughs) No, I know what you mean. And I love that that uh, part of that is is um, especially with the guy from uh, Bar Rescue, it's that um there's a specific way that people from new york have their lip their mouth kind of forward yeah and so it's like talking is like an extra step of effort for them there's like more movement and strength going on in the yeah. mouth and yeah and it's really kind it of more
1: teeth than lips yeah yeah, but yeah. It, it's like the same thing though it's yes. like his teeth are doing extra work when he talks even though it's impossible
0: <laughs> right i know what you mean and what's really cool is and this is um Something that, that intrigues me about Bill Moseley, too, it, not that it matters that these guys come from uh, an educated background, but I think that that helps you enjoy them that much more when they really are depraved, because you're right, when you see Sid Haig in that first movie... There's something so genuinely unsettling about it. You're like, is this a real bad guy? Like, is this clown real somewhere? Like, it's the way that Rob Zombie's aesthetic, and I, God, if I sat and thought about it, I guess I could figure it out. But, like, it's just his whole aesthetic is, like, low-budget local commercial. Yeah. (laughs) But it makes it feel real and creepy at the same time. Yeah.
1: It's like, I believe that guy put that clown makeup on by himself and does not. It's not because he went to clown college and learned <laughs> how. Right. And so. Um, and he's he's one of those guys where is far more intimidating dressed as the clown. And we kind of make that joke because uh, when, you know, at one of the hotel scenes, when the girl gets away um, and she runs to Sid Haig for help, he's wearing the clown makeup. <laughs> and it's like, if you've just come from that scenario. You know that, like, super red flag. Stay away from that part.
0: Yeah, you should be running away from what you're running away from and then freak out again and be like, why is there a fucking clown here? Right. Like, is there anyone normal in this place? Uh, which apparently there isn't. But um, it's good to know that he, I mean, he's a classically trained guy. He. I, I don't have all of the specifics, but he... Um, well, he started in
1: dance to help him cope yes.
0: with his growth issue right because yeah his body is in pain and so he kind of used dance to help movement exactly and then then he became a drummer then just got in yeah and and he got into um it was just a lot of encouragement from other people to have him go into acting as a profession and then he just i guess if we went back we'd probably see him pop up in a lot of reruns i mean the list of tv shows that he was on is just you know a mile long
1: I'm guessing he looks very different, too, because then he didn't do anything for like two decades.
0: Yeah. He was in all those exploitation movies like uh, Coffee and um, Jackie Brown, like the original yeah. and um, uh, or Foxy Brown. Well, he
1: was in Jackie Brown, too.
0: Yeah. And Jackie Brown. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: So because yeah. this is what I just learned. He oh, was yeah. supposed to be Marcellus Wallace in Pulp Fiction. And he was like, turned it down.
0: And man, do I love I love ving rames in that movie but i rarely do i hear about like uh could have been casting and and actually like would want to see it yeah i but just out of pure fascination i would like to see what that would look like ving rames would have been better what i think it
1: was i think it still worked out better but yeah i would have loved to have seen yeah the sig haig version
0: yeah no he he's really great he um he does a really nice job of you know being sinister but but also he does a really great job of selling the pain and that the torment yeah um you know uh, on his face uh or when he's when he's scared because that's kind of the tough thing like you've, you've played a movie and a half as people that aren't afraid or intimidated by anything and now they've got you you know and and you have to switch those gears yeah and they sell that really well and yeah, it, when they're kind of at their hangout before they get tracked down by the uh, the uh, bounty hunters, yeah. um, they really kind of do seem like they're having a good time.
1: Danny Trejo and Diamond Dallas Page, yes, in those roles. Danny Trejo, mur- most murdered man in Hollywood, said the most on-screen deaths. So I guess maybe some of those times he wasn't murdered, maybe they were accidental. But I'm here to tell you makes
0: a great cupcake yes you got been. the keychain yeah <laughs> yeah Danny he actually does though. have a couple bakeries out in los angeles so check those out if you get a no. chance Oh, we'll that's where that keychain is from oh okay yeah. i didn't know he actually owned i thought it was just yeah, a yeah like it's a little chain. pink brick building that sells uh um cupcakes oh man yeah um i didn't I see we'll have there. to go to la and we, go try them we should maybe we should sometime in october maybe yeah. maybe okay. Um, but yeah, no. So you've got, you've got this great cast of characters and I, I know we already mentioned Bill Moseley, but just real quick, I want to say about him. Um, you're right. He's got a fantastic look. He's got these beautiful piercing blue eyes yeah. that, that kind of belie like the, the rest of his exterior. Like he has these really kind, pretty eyes, but that almost amps up his evilness because yeah. there's not the kindness behind them that you would think there yeah, would be.
1: If you're looking for a visual, he's like uh you know he's like uh um <laughs> lord of the rings why can't i think of his G- name gandalf
0: gandalf he's yeah like, he looks like just yeah, a worn down gandalf
1: <laughs> right uh like if gandalf didn't know he was a wizard and was raised by rednecks instead. yeah stead.
0: yeah if gandalf lived south of highway 30 <laughs> right. in indiana uh no i'm kidding i got a lot of friends who live out there and family uh but uh no i i uh he, but you're right he looks like a rural gandalf
1: yes Uh, but it, it's, it's such a good look. Like it works so well.
0: Yeah. He's, he's just, yeah, he's kind of almost majestic in his, in his dirtiness. And, um, and I guess the shoot was like, they all are for, if you're, you're filming in Texas, but very, very hot. So it kind of added to that. Everything was dusty. Everything was hot. Everything was steamy. The actors were, were hot. So it, um, it, it just kind of completed the whole look, but I think he's really fun to watch in his scenes of tormenting others, <laughs> not so much the the motel scene, cause we know that's tough, but even when he's taking the two guys out to, to essentially kill them, right. like there's something about his delivery where he seems almost too tired to really enjoy the bad things that he does anymore. It's almost like he's just doing them utilitarian style, right. you know, like this is like, just this who is I my am. Thing, yeah. yeah and hmm. yeah. yeah that's an interesting take and and so it it's nice because the, like the way that we talk about in acting that you don't want to go out there and just be yelling all your lines from the get-go because then there's no place else to go right he like he, sherry moon zombie <laughs> <laughs> I, I like i like that voice though um but uh but no he's he's great about His levels are so just mid to low in this. Like, he's very, very intimidating, but he's not just like screaming in your face, wild eyed or whatever. He just seems kind of matter of fact, like, I'm just getting this done.
1: Yeah. You know, like, why don't you get he's like pissed off. Other people don't get it. Right. Yeah.
0: I don't know. I did
1: love that scene where he takes. He takes the two guys from the motel Mm -hmm. and they're like, what are we doing here? And he's like, well, you guys are going to dig up some guns I buried. Like, and they're like, "Uh, then what? And he's like, well, it's kind of over after that, (laughs) Uh, which is great. I love how honest and uh, just lackadaisically that comes out. Yeah. You know, and the guys are like, well, what the, you know, then they're like, why the fuck would I dig your guns up if you're going to kill me? Yeah, and then I, he, you know, and then he's like, "Well, I
0: could torture you," right? <laughs> which yeah, kind of
1: does for a little bit.
0: Yeah, more. And it, yeah, it's just it's kind of neat because you know we we get these these personalities that are so interesting individually, but then we're sold this whole package of the family. Yeah, and um, and that are you know loosely related to each other in one way or another. It's never overtly clear, but um of who's who's like child or right. brother or sister or whatever, but they're all, they're all just consider well, I just themselves.
1: Kind of thought it was a, a nuclear family
0: that Sid Haig is their dad. Yeah. Why not? I suppose. I, I, I suppose. Yeah. I didn't. I mean, she calls him daddy. Yeah. Um, yeah. I suppose. like they feel like a genuine family to me. I, I mentioned
1: that while watching, I was like, they're terrible people, but they're <laughs> like uh, closer than I am with my parents. <laughs>
0: Well, that's that's good, though, that not like that, I have a bad relationship, but right. I don't do things with them. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I might I suggest don't kill people right, together, yeah, yeah. like work your way up to that. Uh, I uh, thought a lot during COVID. I think we should start murdering. <laughs> right. Make up, guys. make up for lost time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they they we are kind of given this sweet little family. And what it reminds me of uh <laughs> I'm going to try not to incriminate myself too much here. There was a night where I was at a house party. I was um, in my twenties and we needed something for the party at, at the store or somebody wanted something or whatever. So myself, another guy who's unfortunately no longer with us and a, a girl, um, we all went to the grocery store together and we were, it was late at night and we were of, you know, a different state of mind (laughs) and we walked into that grocery store and I just felt like we were this like Neo, like strange future family, (laughs) like so not having anything to do with any of the marketing that was in front of us, you know, for normal families, we were, you know, out of our minds, but we were just our three little, you know, we were our little tribe walking in there and we're, we're the new, the new race. We're the new age. None of this is for us. <laughs> right. And, and it was kind of really sweet that way. And I, I that's how I feel about, about the Fireflies is that, you know, yes, they are awful people. But I kind of like the idea of some sort of camaraderie because we never get that. You know, Freddie doesn't have a friend that he can, like, sit down and bitch about his day to, right. you know, <laughs> nor does Jason, nor does Michael Myers. I mean, it's nice to see some bad people have a little bit of a support system.
1: Yeah. And, uh, we should mention the mom, mama firefly. Mm-hmm. She's like in, uh, taken, interrogated at the beginning of the film, uh, and then killed by William Forsyth, the main cop. I don't know. If we mentioned his name yet. He's in this too. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like when, you know, I'll give her that too. When Sherry moon hears that she's died, her reaction to that, like that's what I, that, I feel like those reactions, not to say, I mean, yes, I guess you could say in that, uh, Fucked up of his of an environment, I'm sure there's a lot of uh, psychological torture and abuse going on to the children of you know the adults at the time as they grow up. Yeah. So yes, maybe they did, maybe they weren't biological parents, but they uh, you know obviously viewed them as that mother figure. Yeah. I like to think they were all biological, <laughs> uh, uh, rela- biologically related. Um, and but in this one, Mama was. Because in the first one, it was Karen Black, right?
0: Right. And then there was a a money thing. She wanted too much money for the second one, so they had to replace her.
1: Okay. Uh, And they replaced her with a a character, uh, an actress. Hold on. I got to find it now. Um, Because we we just sat there and we're like, who is this? So her name is Leslie Easterbrook. And, you know, recognizable face. We're like, is it the mom from Nightmare? Because it kind of looked like her. Uh You know, but these are... 20 years after any of these movies came out, we looked it up and she played Callahan in the Police Academy movies.
0: Super hot.
1: Yes. Yeah. I mean, if you want to argue that like sexuality is fluid, you're going to, I'm going to point to you <laughs> a generation of 10 year old boys who looked at a like large masculine woman and were like, yes, please. <laughs> Right. Yes. I can't she, wait to be older
0: and she's still good looking in this. Yeah, like she's yeah. very pretty. She's got a real classic face. She looks a lot like Faye Dunaway um, and a lot like the mom from Nightmare on Elm Street. Yes. I mean, they they all should just get together. Um, but no. Yeah. She and she uh, you want to talk about performances. I, I'm i not even mad at it. I don't even I'm not even bothered by it. But she has one scene in particular, a series of maybe four or five or six lines where you want to talk about over the top. It's like, it's almost as if she knows that it's going to one of her last lines in the movie. So she's just going to milk it for every single thing. And she's literally like elongating syllables as long (laughs) as she possibly can. And like repeatedly, and it gets, it starts to border on the goofy, but it's kind of like, "Mm, that's sort of cool. It's a choice. Sure. You know,
1: she's crazy. Right. I will. I will be honest. I, I don't know. I kind of checked out a lot during her scenes mainly to try and find out who she was (laughs) right uh but i felt like i wasn't missing anything by not paying a lot of attention to her scenes
0: yeah yeah i i think that it's something that um it it didn't feel as i don't mind those scenes being in there but it didn't feel like like you were going to miss something completely by by you know checking out a little bit during those times yeah they're good scenes and she's great to look at and everything and and um and it's nice that's the other thing that's neat when you've got a family where the whole family is evil it's neat because you get to see it like we know what male evil looks like you know like what would be considered like uh mean-spirited male evil right right we see a lot of that um but to see like a mother figure also be twisted and evil like that's fun too yeah. like it's 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 neat to see how evil works or looks in different people yeah within <laughs> in a family is a neat way to do that um so i i i love i love that whole concept and now kind of picking that up on on what i mentioned earlier in the beginning of the episode about what were sold at the end which i want to say i when i first saw the free bird scene mm-hmm. at the end of this where the fireflies are are bleeding and shot up and dying and barely escaped and aren't going to live that much longer anyway driving down the road and then the car comes to a stop and you're, you're not really sure why but then you look in the distance and you see just a lot just a, a a convoy of cops yeah. you know spread out across the road and there you know that there's just no chance that they can survive well you think that anyhow right um so freebird and then a bag of money comes a knocking <laughs> right so freebird starts playing and i'm like okay cool now you made mention of the fact that they do cut it off before the guitar solo oh or or the, before the guitar solo yeah. finishes um and but i will say though I was thrilled with how much of the song they did play. I mean, they play nearly all. Yeah. Of it. But at that point, I mean, I don't know. I feel like you got to commit.
1: That's a, that song is not a clip song. You know, that song is meant to be played from start to finish. I, listen, I don't like <laughs> Leonard Skinner that much. That song is incredible. Yes. And deserves to be played from start to finish, especially if I've got to sit there like, yeah, they play a lot of that, and all the action is slow-mo. Like, everything is in slow-mo. So we're watching them make decisions and do actions all in slow-mo while that plays, right? And then that song kicks in, and it's like, yeah, now you're getting going, and it's like they're driving in, and it freeze frames. You're like, ah,
0: this is crazy. And then, all right, that, enough of that song. <laughs> Right. Yeah, I don't know. I I I liked that. I, I hear what you're saying. I wish it could have gone all the way to the end. I, I do love that song. I know one person on this planet that doesn't like it, and that's just absolutely fucking insane. Um, it's but fine. but uh, I get it. But um, yeah. I he, now what excited me about it when I first saw it was that it seemed to me because it, we all have these this sort of um kind of like parameterless. Ambition and confidence and uh, just trust and whatever comes pops into our minds when we're teenagers and we're thinking we're thinking of something cool. Like you, you haven't become jaded enough to be like, well, no, but that's probably stupid. You know, you're like, yeah, this is the coolest fucking thing Correct. that anybody's ever thought of. And so I've had many, many times, more in my probably early twenties where I would sit for, you know, whatever reason for lengths of time and have interesting thoughts with friends. And, uh, and I would picture something like this. We'd be, uh, you know, probably listening to music and I would picture a movie scene like this one. And it, it felt, and it, you know, I could kind of, I was free to imagine whatever I wanted to imagine. I was thinking of like, what would be the coolest things in the world to, to put in a movie and it really f- felt like when I saw this, I'm like, he held on to it. He he found a way to hold on to that magic, even though I'm sure everybody was like, you can't play a five, six, seven minute song like in the the end. You can't play the yeah. whole thing, which I mean, he, I know he, he didn't, but yeah. I mean, nearly play that, did.
1: play that end part of the over the credits, even if you, you have
0: I get it like you don't
1: have anything visually left to show me. Yeah. Why switch the song? They must. Have, I don't know. It, maybe it's a rights issue. I don't know. It just felt so weird. Yeah. It's like, it's like, uh, I mean, Bismarck E just, uh, died. Yeah. The diabolical Biz E. Like, imagine like, that just be like uh, one of the most fun choruses to sing of any song. if yeah. You've got a friend, right? Or, uh, yeah. I mean, just imagine not doing that part of yeah. the song, like having to listen to someone sing it. And then when you get to you, the, all right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well we do
1: get How about a, some matchbox
0: 20. We do get a little bit into the solo. I mean they, they start the solo and but you're right. It's I mean, but there are different radio versions of that song. Some of them are way longer than others. Um but you're right. I mean it 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 I don't know if that was to sell the impact of of the gunshots, of the gunfire like right. hitting them or something like that, because he does do, and man does he ever do a freeze frame he does freeze frames all up and down this damn movie and i love it i can't get enough of it even if he's overdoing it i don't give a shit because it always looks cool was directed awesomely
1: yeah it's i loved the choices a lot of funny edits yeah they did get a little predictable like at the end he's (laughs) like we're not getting ice cream and i just went cue the ice cream cut ice they're eating ice cream (laughs) right
0: so You're right. It's a little bit of that, like, uh, like '80s vibe, that like '80s comedy, yeah. you know, kind of, kind of timing. Um, but th- what really got me, what I was wrestling with, and what I finally made peace with uh, this time was during that Free Bird segment. We also cut to these what looked like kind of like Super Eight movies of the three of them just sort of slow motion laughing and walking together and hand in hand. They look a little, a little bit more cleaned up. Yeah, it and, looks like out of production.
1: It yeah. looks like uh, that's the way those, I didn't know if they were supposed to, I'd imagine that's what they were from. Yeah. Cause it looks like three actors hanging out.
0: Yeah. Uh, set. Yeah. And it kind of, I, it, when I first saw it, I knew what he was going for, but I always wondered if Rob zombie is asking too much of his audience there because it almost feels like I'm going to show you, I'm going to, you know, have these people doing the most awful things in the world and I'm going to show them to you. But then at the end, I'm gonna just put a big red bow on it, and aren't they so sweet and aren't they so cute? And it's like, man, that's asking a whole lot. Like, I can see if you want to like glorify their violence a little bit, make it look cool, yeah. But to like try and sell them as some sort of sweet scrapbooky, like you know, just kumbaya style, you know, family skipping down the side of the hill in slow motion. It felt like a little bit too much of a stretch. But when I watched it this time, I was like that's how they see themselves. Right. Yeah. I totally got that. You know that. And, and it took me a second to be like that. Like just because we feel like they're awful people, if they know that they're about to die, they're probably thinking of each other in better times, happier times, you know, we've had a good uh, run kids. Right. And so in that way, maybe it's a little, a little overly sentimental, but I'm, I'm on board for it. It's cool.
1: Unexpected. Now it's funny. You, uh, you always called this part the end of the movie, which I i mean, technically it is. Yeah. It's certainly not the climax of the movie. Though. Right. Right. <laughs> so yeah. when you kept talking about like, oh, you don't remember the end of this movie and you were very excited. And then like kind of the whole third act happens. And I was just like, oh, what part is he really excited about in here? <laughs> and then I jokingly said, oh, are you excited about Freebird? And you were like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, that made a lot of sense but the climax of this movie we should say and I mean it's kind of the whole third act because yeah William Forsyth uses his power and influence his local power and influence as the sheriff or whatever to get friend of Captain Spaulding to turn on them essentially yeah like I'll let you keep doing what you do but you got to help me out I need these people I've been
0: you know searching did, for and them. did you know that guy was supposed to be his half brother Captain. Uh, no. that, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, don't want to confuse it there. Yeah. No. Uh
1: which all right, fine. Okay. <laughs> um yeah, that's not very clear. Um but so yeah, I mean, so yeah, they are captured. But during that whole scene, and so yeah, now William Forsyth saw it William Forsyth is kind of above what's his character name, so I don't have to try and say his last name again. He is um Sheriff John Quincy Wydell. Oh, my I'll just call him sheriff. <laughs> uh, so the sheriff now is, you know, he's in Batman mode, essentially like he's above the law. He's not doing his job now. This is personal. It's village, uh, v- village, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I knew what you meant. Yeah. The things he's doing are uh, something.
0: <laughs> What's the word? Why can't my brain? Vid- uh, vigilante. <laughs> vigilante. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Vengeance.
1: Yeah. Um, so, but during this whole scene, like to me, I don't know. It was just, I, I knew just based on his own hubris and based on how much I know, you know, Robert, Robert zombie, <laughs> Jesus, what's wrong with my head? <laughs> I know what you mean. <laughs> Robert zombie loves these characters. I'm like, they're going to get away. Like I was so confident in that.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Uh, and that, you know, the sheriff's not going to be effective in what he wants to do. Especially then when he's like, now I'm going to let one of them run off and find a weapon. Right. Like, it's just like, you're, nah, right. Just stop, uh, you know, monologuing. It's like villain monologuing, essentially, at that point. And then we get the deus ex machina. The, you know, giant figure that we see at the very beginning of the movie mentioned once shows up out of the blue to save the day. Yeah. And rescue the family. And of course, his name is Tiny uh, and
0: he's a guy with gigantism. Yeah, right. Yes. Yeah. And it's you're right. It's it's kind of a neat, um, a neat moment there when it all comes to a head. And I do like William Forsyth a lot in this. I think that he walks a nice line between uh a realistic performance and then stylizing it with a little bit of that righteousness that religious righteousness that he's you know quoting some bible verses and he's you know uh nailing uh, bill mosley through the hand like stigmata style which is oh yeah see i didn't pick up
1: a lot on his religious nature i guess to me i'm just like they're in texas i'm (laughs) gonna hear that (laughs) it's like like a passive thing
0: (laughs) right but um but yeah, he does a really good job of selling that kind of like if there's one and talking about other things that people love that that I can't stand. Boondock Saints is a garbage ass movie, uh, I think. Um, really? It is, it is. It is trying. So the the stench of desperation on that movie to try and be like some kind of iconic. Is this your film. new Dave
1: Matthews band? Because you're literally the first person I've ever heard. I've never seen it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it
1: is. It and is, I've is, meant to because I've only heard good things. Oh, no, it oh, is. Man. There,
0: there are young people in a generation younger than us yeah that it maybe it's their pulp fiction but no it is it is trying so hard to be tarantino esque, oh. and it's just garbage and there's a there's a character of a detective in it that like has this really stylized way of like going about a crime scene and stuff and he puts uh, on this classical music and he starts oh, dancing geez. around and it's just so fucking stupid oh, my God. um I mean, maybe people maybe I'm not in on the joke and people are praising it because they are laughing at it because it's so inept. And that's why they say they like it kind of like the way I like crappy movies. But if they like it because they think it's good, that's that's another thing. Anyhow, my point is, is that William Forsythe's character, it, while he is sort of just rife with this vengeance energy, never seems too much like a caricature. You know, he has to kind of give in to the dark side to sort of fight fire with fire when it comes to matching these people. But it doesn't come as easily to him as it does to them. I mean, you see him pouring himself a shot like they just go into this stuff because it's second nature. The Fireflies do. He's, you know, not a killer like them, but he that vengeance, that rage has got him, brought him down to their level. So that's where we get to see that interesting blurring of who's the good guy, who's the bad guy here. Um, So that's that's pretty cool. But uh, yeah, all around, I mean. It's really, really hard for a movie to live through bad performances and bad writing. This movie, thankfully, has some good writing and some great performances so While there might be things in it that people struggle with content wise you can't argue with the the framework of this movie yeah, it's solid yes. I mean, it, all of the, the 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 big individual moving parts work well together and are fun to watch. I can't see anybody being bored by this movie.
1: No, <laughs> no, you're gross if you're bored by this movie. <laughs> like, right? Go
0: yeah. to get some help. therapy now. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um. But no, it's 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 very cool. I think that it. Um, you know, Rob Zombie, like we were saying, I mean, he, he didn't necessarily want to do a sequel to House of a Thousand Corpses. He just wanted to make that a standalone movie. They came to him with uh, money and he said, OK, I'll, I'll do it um, because you got to remember, he's still a pretty young filmmaker at that point. Like yeah. He's only made a movie. So um, you're not going to really start turning down major studios at that point. So he went along with it. And I like the fact that he changed the tone. I like the fact that he changed the look and the vibe. Uh, and then he, he, yeah, he
1: could have easily just done. Here's another group that finds yeah. the house.
0: Yeah, here's another. Yeah. And, but it's more twisted
1: this time.
0: <laughs> right. Right. Um, maybe have uh, Sherry zombie playing two parts, like uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme and double impact, you know, like just double her up. Yeah. Um, but uh, now I did think, cause I was like, I there, there are he- other movies where they use the same actor in other roles. I don't know why I went with double impact on that. <laughs> right. But, yeah. No, it's,
1: I think everyone, is, <laughs> yeah. that's probably the one most people have seen. You're Right. Um, but like, I knew Sid Haig had died, but I didn't realize when, but I was like, Oh, that's probably why they didn't do a trilogy of these. Cause I thought it was a while ago turns out no he only died like late 2019 and it was after they made a third one of these i did not even remember this movie existing three from hell from two years ago
0: yeah he got in kind of like no one else
1: does it had a budget of three million and a box office of two really yes what year did that come out 2019 so this is when people were still going to the movies
0: See, I think he started Rob Zombie kind of, you know, you, you start if you have a real signature style like that um, and you start cranking out movies one after another, you you don't necessarily feel compelled to be like, well, I know what it's going to look like. I know what it's going to be like, yep. you know, and that's probably prejudging him and, and judging him too harshly. But, um, yeah, you kind of felt like he was just spitting them out left and right. Like there's even another one, not uh, Lords of Salem. There's another one, something acid, something or other um that came out that i also didn't see and so yeah i think three from hell kind of came out and maybe too quick of succession maybe
1: because yeah a lot of his stuff flies under the radar yeah i mean if you ask a normal person they would say if you ask a normal person they would go the singer and have you asked (laughs) you know someone who knows a little bit about film they would probably know halloween and they would probably know one or two of these movies yeah Yeah. Looking at his filmography, I'm like, when, when the fuck did you do (laughs) these?
0: Right. Yeah. There, um, you know, the thing is, I I do want to say, um, I'm surprised I haven't said it before now. I I really do love this guy. I love Rob Zombie. I, I think he is, he's a really nice, uh, example of motivation. Um, there are a lot of fans out there. There are a lot of fanboys out there and fangirls. And there's nothing wrong with just sitting back and enjoying something. But it's really neat when you're when you see somebody that's like, I love horror movies. I'm going to make horror movies yeah. or I love horror movies. I'm going to make music and incorporate horror elements. And or I really like skateboarding and he still skateboards or to this day. My name. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. Or um, I mean, he's uh, he also puts out comics, you know, and yeah. and uh, is a is an illustrator. Um, so super talented dude that actually chose to do something with it, and um, you know, and he's a really down to earth guy. I saw him on fucking Cupcake Wars. He was a judge on Cupcake <laughs> was Wars, he really? Yeah, and he's just like a real normal oh, dude. Man. He doesn't try to pull off that like. Do you know the host of that is like a magician also? It's really? like magic
1: specials on Netflix. The really? guy's the worst. Yeah. I hate I'm him.
0: not a big fan of no, his. Is that, I mean, I, I, maybe I'll like his magic stuff yeah. better. I, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. You like, you but, like kid stuff. So maybe. <laughs> Right, right, yeah, I probably would, uh, but uh, but no, he just seems like a genuinely cool guy that like like he seems like a a fun guy to go out and and have some beers with, you know, like he seems yes. like he'd be a fun guy to talk to about movies and stuff. Yeah. And he is a super huge Groucho Marx fan, like that's where that all comes from. Oh yeah, it, we
1: should before we wrap up, we should talk about that scene because I did like that scene. That was the one where I'm like, <laughs> now we're in my wheelhouse. Like yeah. we're talking about Marx Brothers stuff. Yeah, yeah, they realize Captain Spaulding is like a, a Groucho Marx character from Animal Crackers. And so, you know, they're like, you know, as any, you know, 90s cop movie, they're like, you know, let's get an expert in here. We'll, you know, there's got to be hidden meaning in a lot of this. Um, I don't think they ever do find that there is hidden meaning. That just seem to like right. the Groucho, you know, Marx Brothers movies. The Firefly fa- family is named after Rufus T. Firefly and Duck Soup. Um, then we even, we were looking up, there's a Banjo and Sullivan fake album based off the characters of this. One of those songs is called Dick Soup, which has to be a duck soup (laughs) reference. So yeah, a lot of, uh, Mark's brother stuff on this, but this guy comes in, he's like a character actor I'd seen. I didn't really look up who he was. Um, you know, he comes in with this weird, like, um, uh, not Robert Malton, but who was the, who was the other? film critic
0: gene shallot gene
1: shallot it's like a tamed down gene shallot mustache he doesn't have the gene shallot hair yeah but yeah tamed down gene shallot mustache and he's just like all about the marx brothers and he's you know all about the information it's a weird out of nowhere scene doesn't help or detract really anything from the movie and then it ends with a funny you like is hence the name the elvis scene <laughs> Where the you know uh, historian his biggest pet peeve is that Elvis Presley died two days after Groucho Marx so no one even remembers like Groucho Marx even died because they're like we should get this guy in here and ask him some questions. <laughs> He's like he died like. Forty years ago. Well, this is set in the seventies, so I guess he just would have died.
0: Yeah, and that critic is so pissed off. He's like, This is, you know, this is a reflection on the sad state of affairs of public culture. (laughs) You you know, pop culture. I would throttle you. Yeah. Oh, it's so funny.
1: Insulting
0: him. Like, it's just that that actor that plays that critic is so fucking funny. Like, if you go back and watch those scenes again, like he is just like in color and everybody else is in black and white. Like he's legitimately hilarious. Yeah. And uh, then he's still screaming as he's being like thrown out of the uh, the sheriff's office, you know, because um, when he insults Elvis, obviously yeah, the Forsyth character gets so pissed and like, don't you ever say anything bad about Elvis Aaron Presley again in my presence or I will beat the shit out of you and um and then he's like, get this Hollywood freak out of my office. And then he's like, Elvis was in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. That yeah was was and he's like, get that out of here. I
1: made a hundred movies.
0: Yeah. <laughs> love me. Tender was based on an Irish folk song. And like, he's just still <laughs> yelling facts as he's getting thrown out. Yeah. Oh my God. So it's so it's so funny. such a weird scene. <laughs> it's it so It is good. out
1: of place, but it doesn't feel jarringly out of place. I like the scene. Well, I f- love the Marx Brothers. And so. thank
0: thank goodness for those scenes because yeah you like we've said ad nauseum here there's there's definitely a need for some counterweight and some balancing to to some of the rawness that we see uh in the movie but i will say this though um and i'm trying to think back here cuz i don't want to speak out of place but there is not a Ton of blood and guts in this, is there? I mean, I mean, there's violence. Uh, yeah, there's violence. There's...
1: I will say, yeah, that was one of the things I didn't like. A lot of CGI blood, shiny CGI blood. Oh, in yeah. Because uh, at the same time, I'm like, I feel like if anyone would respect and embrace some practical effects, it would have been Rob Zombie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Have you and, ever- and I understand there are like scenes where it's hard to, you know, make that vision effective with practical, because the moment that sticks out to me the most is it's towards the tail end of, of course the motel scene. Um, it's just a baby is left there with the two women. One of them's like, I have to use the bathroom. So she goes to the bathroom and then tries to escape. And while baby's distracted, the other woman picks up the gun uh, and it's holding it on her and so as we you know see their standoff we see that baby's holding a knife behind her right mm-hmm. so as soon as she has that opportunity or you know the, oh cuz she's like the the gun has no bullets in it so as soon as the you know the woman who's Terry from uh Three's company i just keep calling her a woman um she played Terry in Three's company and the three-nippled psychic from uh Kevin Smith uh, movie Mallrats no, my favorite um but she like you know as soon as she's distracted just who throws that knife and just hits her in the chest now with that a- that camera angle the the best way you're going to do that is with a computer effect yeah is a digital knife you know going in um but it just Then the camera's panning. The knife is not keeping stationary. You know, the perspective is not keeping true with the pan. So the knife's kind of like wobbling back and forth in her chest. There's the shiny red blood. Then she pulls it out and it like bubbles out. it just, it really takes me out. And I'm like, you still could have done something like this without having to do that. Sure. Like, I don't, I I just don't see Rob Zombie being like, sorry, Guys, They, you know, don't have the budget to do practical, you know, a couple more. I'm sure he had some practical effects. Yeah, I'm sure he did. But just to find moments where I'm like, where he's like, well, this moment I'll cheat. I was just surprised. I get it. I'm sure it's a lot easier than like because some of the stories we read about these movies in the 80s, like the links they went to and the things they had to rig up for a three second
0: shot, you know. Oh, we're going to talk it like about a huge
1: day process, you know?
0: Yeah. We're going to talk about one of those. I mean, it's, it'll be, it's such like a, the polar opposite of what you just described with the CGI in our next movie, there is a hilarious moment where they had to achieve some blood and oh, the way that yeah. they, the way that they did it is so funny. What's well, But, yeah. um, but anyway, I want, I do want to say in response to that, yes, you're right. And I'm not, I'm not going to try to argue it. I will say this though. The first movie that I ever saw that really used a ton of that CGI blood was—I always get the title mixed up. It's—it's it's a great movie. It's uh, that whatever, like Midnight Meat Train. Oh
1: yeah, with Bradley Cooper. Yeah, yeah,
0: and it's a great movie. We should probably cover that sometime. It's—it's it's really really good. Yeah. But man alive, that whole damn movie is that CGI blood splatter. Oh, really? Now here's the thing. It was like
1: um, Drag Me to Hell. Yeah. That shit was bad.
0: The thing is. Uh, The only thing I can say, though, is that when a new CGI effect comes out, people should just sit on it for a year and then go back and look at it, because when that... When Midnight Meat Train came out, and if I'm saying that right, I think it has the word murder in it, too, somewhere. But anyway, um, when I saw it and I saw that CGI blood, I'm like, that looks so cool. Oh, yeah. I mean, at the time, it was like, oh, they can do really cool stuff with blood now, even though you knew it was CGI. Right. But you're like, that really really looks awesome. And they can do so much now. And so if he probably saw that and got romanced by that blood the way that the rest of us did. But you're right. It did not age well yeah because
1: yeah maybe in 05 it looked a lot better
0: and for such a small you're telling me you can't get a makeup guy to do some blood coming out of a chest like it's
1: just yeah it's just a little is it just so you could have that move where she throws the knife into her chest like
0: all you got to do is run a tube down and and do a little prosthetic on her chest and blast it up pump it out of the tube yeah it's yeah i mean it's a weird choice but um do you recommend this movie? I do. Yeah, <laughs> I really do. I do. And I, I um, it's funny. I was reading an article where a guy was really praising the movie and saying that he can't, you know, in any good conscience um, recommend it to anybody because of of its content and its violence and all that stuff. But I don't know. I mean, I I'm going to trust anybody enough that would have an interest in seeing this, that they know what they're getting into. Um, maybe you don't know just how much you're going to get into, um, but, you know, when you see a Rob Zombie movie, especially in this franchise, it's going to be a, a tough watch. Yeah. So just my advice is, yes, go see it and go into it. Try to look for the comedy where you can try to enjoy the characters and the performances and don't get too bogged down with any internalization. Yeah. Because that'll bum me out. Yeah. Do you recommend it?
1: Yeah, I do i do i like this movie still he he, like uh you know the greater critics before me have said this movie knows what it is it sets out to do it it does it very well um and yeah it's not pretending it's something it's not yeah i mean it definitely has some structural flaws and some bits and pieces that could have been better but i mean yeah it's definitely from the mind of rob zombie
0: Yeah, I've seen look, I've seen bad performances before uh, in in theater that were slightly elevated by the fact that I could tell that at least the cast was having a good time, right? Like, they think it's great. And they're really enthusiastic. And you can feel their charisma. So sometimes that counts for something. Yeah. And while I don't think this movie is bad, I, I just will say that that is another element to it that I really like where it feels like everybody that's in it is, is excited about it. There's a good energy to it. Um. It, it feels like there's some fun going on despite the, the heaviness. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's great.
1: I agree. All right. That was the devil's rejects from 2005. Tim, we're going to wrap up. It's a short mini series. Our America miniseries wraps up what I mean, what says America more than the state that can't wait to leave it? (laughs) The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the OG. And I know you're saying you guys are doing two Toby Hooper films. No, because Poltergeist (laughs) is a Spielberg film. Uh but yeah, so we're gonna do a true the true Toby yeah. Hooper.
0: Never were we more sure that Toby Hooper didn't direct poltergeist than when we watched this oh last night. Oh my
1: god, yeah. Uh yeah. Unless he really <laughs> grew uh, in seven years. Yeah. Um so yeah, that's gonna be up next. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, nineteen seventy four. Um check out our website, slumberpodcastmassacre.com, uh, Slumber Podcast Massacre at dot com. Not at dot com.
0: slumberpodcastmassacre.com
1: Our email is slumberpodcast at gmail.com That's what That's, I was thinking yeah. too. Uh, huge thanks to our patrons. You help uh, make this show possible. We couldn't do it without you. Um, don't forget to like, uh, throw us a, a review or rate us on Apple Podcasts or really wherever you can rate us. We'd appreciate it. That looks cool. Makes us more legit. We're going to make a real push to get a big name guest on here Elijah Wood I'm calling it out right now Friend of the show Friend of the show Future co-host probably <laughs> I'm gonna
0: drop Tim as soon as I can <laughs> We'll get it he, he, he could probably buy his own mic yeah. yeah Yeah We'll just tell him to bring his own yeah, equipment like, Is that Two things Yeah
1: Um. Yeah So yeah Send us a review Uh, Tim is there anything else you want to say about the devil's rejects?
0: Well, I guess it's sort of about it. I, I, I just want to say kind of as a place marker and a further reminder to myself, uh, fuck me running. Uh, that way when I listen to this episode, I'll remember that I'm trying to work that in more. Yes. Fuck me running. Has anybody okay? and if, Or write in and tell me as, as anyone else other than myself and Rob zombie heard that phrase. I'd love to know.
1: Yeah. Let us know. Oh, uh, oh shit. All right. I, well, I'm going to say, Okay, i'm gonna yeah. close it off on my thing yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I did forget, i wanted to bring up because uh we didn't mention there's the one dude i can't think of his name now he was in the hills have eyes he was in like weird science he's that guy yeah you that see him guy. you're like that guy uh there's a point because he's um yeah you know, captain swalding half brothers right hand man and so there's a bit where we're introduced to the the woman of the group and she's like uh, trying to come up with some ideas or whatever and she's talking about star wars and she's like you know all those little nerdy boys wanna fuck Princess Leia and he's just like, Yeah, I'd fuck
0: her. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That delivery
1: what it's late, it's late.
0: And yeah, and he's there for that scene where we get a little bit of local flavor, uh, because there's mention of chicken fucking in this movie. Yes So a little bit of shout out to Valparaiso, Indiana for its uh storied history our of our own chicken fucker. foul uh, fornicating at one of our local motels. Yeah. I wish that we were We also have legend. popcorn. We have yeah, we have popcorn, popcorn, popcorn as well <laughs> and
1: popcorn. All right, Tim. We'll see you next week. Bye
0: again, bye. bye.